Good morning again. Take your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verses 10 to 13 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. From our scripture reading earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses told Joshua and the people to be strong and courageous. Why? Because dangerous enemies and difficult battles were ahead of them. And they would need that courage. There were were some things coming on the horizon that they would need that courage for. And then in Joshua chapter 1, we saw that once Moses had died, God tells Joshua pretty much the same things. He says, be strong and be courageous because the enemies are numerous. The battles will be challenging. But did you realize in both those passages, they didn't stop there? Be strong, courageous, it's going to be tough. What else did God say? And I will be with you. Wherever you go, I will be with you. God will be with his people every step of the way. And we see that as you look through Joshua's time as leader of the children of Israel. They fought many battles. They had to. They had to conquer the land. Battles that required courage. They required strategic planning. They required a strong reliance on God himself. And every step of the way, God was with them for those battles. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, in the following verses, Paul tells us that our spiritual battles will be much like those battles. They will be difficult. They will be challenging. They will be many. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse, or, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse, chap, or, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 3, we were told who we are in Christ right? What he has done, what what we have because of God's grace and salvation. And then in chapters four through six so far, we've seen how we are to live, what we are to be, who we are to be in Christ and how we are to operate. All of that is essential. It's essential to get us to this point in the book where we come to today. Because in Ephesians 6 verse 10, we start to put our big boy pants on. This is, this is where the battle comes because the battle is real. This is where the Spirit, through the Word, prepares us for battle. He's basically saying to us, you've come this far so far, you better not back down now. You better keep going. See, we used to be in Satan's domain. Remember Ephesians 2? You walked according to the prince of the power of the air and the children, you were children of disobedience and you were children. We were in Satan's domain, completely covered by that. But God yanked us out of that. He brought us from, as it says in Colossians, the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of light. That's glorious. But you know who's not happy? Satan. He lost us. He lost us. Before we were saved, we were called lost people. Now, because we're saved to Satan, we are lost people. He lost us. He's not too happy about it. And so Paul reminds us here, you better get up. You better get dressed. You better get ready. Because there's a battle on the horizon. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, 
through 6-9, what we just covered last week, we've seen the Spirit working in us to produce victory. And a lot of that is, you know, our mind and how we think, our, our actions, our words. We've talked about our physical relationships in, in the home, in marriage, with children, with the church, with our workplace. All of those physical relationships that we have. But here in chapter 6, verse 10, he takes a slightly different tack now. And and, and now he says, you better follow the Spirit because the Spirit is preparing you for the spiritual battle that is ahead as well. The Spirit is preparing you for the spiritual battle that is extremely real. You know, if we're not careful, we only focus on what we can see, don't we? You ever heard the phrase, out of sight, out of mind? And we can sometimes get the idea that this spiritual battle isn't as real as maybe, you know, the Bible makes it to be because we can't see it. But Paul reminds us, no, it's very real. And as we've grown in the book of Ephesians chapter and verse after verse after verse, and we think, okay, uh, I'm starting to apply some of what I'm seeing in Ephesians. I've learned so much. You realize that as you apply what you've learned of Scripture, there is no promise that it will get easier. And what we see here in 6.10 and following may indicate that it only gets harder. Why? Because he says, you need armor for a battle. Don't think that the more I apply scripture and the more I know and the more we get to do and the more God blesses us, it's just going to be easier and easier and easier. No, this might indicate to us that as we apply scripture and as we do what God has called us to do, it may only get harder. Isn't that joyful? Isn't that good? Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Paul starts this section with the word finally. And maybe that's a word we, we like when we, hear, we get to the end of a book or maybe the end of a message, right? And the preacher says, finally. In other words, he's, he's wrapping this up. But don't just discard this as, oh yeah, you know, that time where, okay, he's wrapping up, I'm going to start putting my Bible, I'm going to put it down here, I'm going to start gathering my stuff. No, 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 because Paul may have saved some of his most forceful and urgent instruction for last. He says, finally, don't read that as a finally, let's get ready to go, let's go get ready to eat. Read that as a finally as in pay attention, because he's bringing it home right now. He's about to drop the hammer on us. He says, finally, my brethren. Now, as we've seen in the book of Ephesians, this is addressed to the whole church. It's addressed to all believers. He's reminding people, hey, all of you in the church of Ephesus, all of you believers, pay attention here. This is for all of you. My brethren, be strong in the Lord. In other words, he's saying, be strong together. Put on the armor together. 
In verse 12, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The you in verse 11 and verse 13, both of those are plural. What's he getting at? There are no solo warriors. There are no lone ranger armor wearers. You know, in a world that celebrates individuality, we fight best when we fight together. We fight best when we fight together. We do not fight each other. Rather, we fight with each other. We can do together what we would never be able to do alone. That's the truth. And look what he tells us first here. Collectively as a church, the first thing he tells us, the first instruction we are given is the same instruction that Moses and God gave to Joshua when he had these huge battles ahead of him. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. The first imperative for us commands our reliance on the Lord for this battle. Don't think you can waltz into this battle on your own strength. You can't. Our strength is not within us. It is in the Lord. Anything that we do, it is because of the Lord and his strength. The problem with this verse is a lot of people want to stop after strong. And they'll say something like, be strong, be strong. That's not good enough. It's not good enough. Be strong in the Lord. See, because those people that want to stop at be strong, they want to communicate to you that, well, you have the strength within you. All you have to do is access it. Dig deep down in. Do the right things. Put yourself in the right environment. Access the strength that you have. No, no, no. That's hogwash. Your strength is in the Lord and only in the Lord. It's like people that love to quote the first part of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. I can do all things. No, you can't. In fact, you can't do anything. You can't stop it, be strong. You can't stop it, I can do all things. You've got to finish the verse. Be strong in the Lord. Because that's where our strength comes from. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can only do anything as the Lord strengthens you to do it. You realize that you are completely, 100% dependent on him. That's the truth. Acts 17, 28, in him, in him we live and move and have our being. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, he said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. What does that tell us? You can't stop it, be strong. You can't stop it, I can do all things. You must be strong in the Lord. Why do we hammer that? Why do we have to look at that so much? Because I think we usually rely on everything but him. We look for strength in all the wrong places. Anyone guilty of that as I am? We look for strength in all the wrong places. We look to our resources. We look to our money, our ability, the plans we've made, our charm and personality, right? Our history, maybe the ministry position that God has given us. And we say, because of that, I can do these things. No, no. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We sang the song just a few minutes ago, Martin Luther 
Talk about a guy who needed the strength of the Lord and could not do it on his own because he had to feel like he was standing on his own when he was fighting against the uh, religious system of his day, the Catholic Church. He wrote that song we sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The second verse, it says this, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. You confide in your own strength, your striving is losing. We're not the right man on our side, the of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. That's good stuff. It's almost like Martin Luther had read this verse. It's almost like he knew his Bible. And he reads this verse and he says, hey, we can't do it on our own. We are only strong as we are strong in the Lord. Now, it says here, be strong in the Lord, capital L, the Lord there, that's the Greek word kurios, that's Christ. It's usually referring to Christ when we see that, that Greek word in the New Testament. And so when he says, be strong in the Lord, he's saying, be strong in Christ. He says something very similar in 2 Timothy 2.1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So here we rely on the strength that is in Christ, not in ourselves, and therefore we have the power of his might on us. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Don't read through that verse too fast. I love that phrase. It's almost like a double phrase. He says the power of his might. It's almost like he's saying be strong in the strength of the strength uh, of his strength, right? The, the power of his might. Now, what is that power? Jump back to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 because he's already told us what this power looks like. And he uses, uses some really, really uh, uh, illustrative words here for us in verse 19, chapter 1. He calls this power, he says, those who believe have the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Exceeding greatness of his power according to the working of his mighty power. You say, what is that power? It's the power that rose Jesus from the dead. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is also the same power that rose you from the dead, right? He made us alive who were dead in sins, chapter 2. So it's the same power that rose Christ from the dead, the same power that rose us from the dead so that we can believe in Christ. And now he says, that's the power that we're supposed to be strong in. That are, as we are strong in the Lord, we are strong in that power tap into that, why don't we? You see, God, ha God in Christ has immense power, unlimited power, omnipotent, we would call it, omnipotent power, infinite power. And when the power of God is on the move, nothing and no one can stop him. When the power of God is on the move, you cannot stop him. And I read that verse, and in thinking through this this week, I'm thinking, man, where God's power is at work, I want to get in line behind that. Right? I'm not going to try to stand in the way of where God's power is at work. I'm not going to run off somewhere else. Where we see the power of God at work, jump in with that. Say, that's where I want to go. Yet, what do we do? We trust in our own power, don't we? our power that is peanuts compared to God's power. Shame on us. 
in Joshua chapter 4, going back to his story, they put 12 stones in the river. Right after God had, God had parted the Jordan River for them to walk across, he said, take 12 stones, one for each one of the tribes, and put it, put it in, the, in the river there as a memorial. That way that when your children come to you and they say, hey, Dad, what's this, what's this thing here? What's this pile of stones? He says, then you can look at them and you can say, by God's might and God's power, he did this. Because what do we want to say? Oh, well, you know, we just kind of, you know, did the right thing and we pushed that aside and we got it done. And you say, no, 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 God's power, God's might got us across this river. When we trust in God's power in Christ, we can say as the psalmist did in Psalm 98, one, his right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. When we trust in our own strength, we fail every time, don't we? Every time. You know, this verse has, has special meaning right now because there's a lot of big things ahead of us as a church and as a ministry. Huge things that we are about to undertake. Things that we really don't know how they're going to turn out. There's a lot of unknowns. There's, there's these huge things that are ahead of us as a church and a ministry. And I ask myself, I say, can we do them? Nope. We cannot. Not a chance. But we serve the God who can. We trust the God who can. And that makes all the difference. Because we can't just be strong. Our strength has to be in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, we believe the one who orders our steps. It says the good man and in my case, the steps of a not-so-good man are ordered by the Lord. We trust that. Because it says, we sang that song today too, our God is going before us. He's out ahead of us. He's clearing the path. And where his power is at work, get in that path. Get behind that snowplow, as it were. Go in that direction. You say, well, how do I do this? It's great to say, be strong in the Lord. How? How do I be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? How do I access that? How do I get that power? You ready? Prayer, the word, submission to the spirit, and faith. Oh, come on, give me something better than that. Come on, there's gonna be some sort of formula or system or something. No, you gotta pray. You gotta ask God for the power of his might. You gotta ask God that you would be strong in him and not us. You gotta be in the word opening the word and so that you see where God is working. And he, he's speaking to you and communicating to you where he is at work. You have to submit to the spirit. That's been a theme here for the last several weeks. Walk in the spirit. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to do it with faith. I was talking to Miss Jerry just this last week and she was sharing a verse in Hebrews where it says that the people did not enter in because what they heard was not mixed with faith. You cannot just hear it. You have to believe it. You have to have faith. See, if our battle was against flesh and blood, he tells us in verse 12 it's not, but if our battle was only against flesh and blood, maybe our own strength would be enough. You know, get together enough, enough strength and do it. But since it is a spiritual battle, as we'll see, you must have spiritual strength. And that only comes from Christ through prayer through the spiritual disciplines of prayer and the word submission to the spirit. We have to have it. Well, the next piece of instruction that he gives us builds off of this one. 
Not only do you need the strength of the Lord, you also need the armor of God. He says in verse 11 and in verse 13, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. There's a reason you need it. He says, you better have it. You better grab it. You better wear it. You better use it. And it's not just that you use it once in a while. You put it on for a time and then you take it off. No, 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 the Greek here does not imply that. It implies something that we, it does not imply something that we do occasionally. Uh, we put it on when we need it and we take it off when we think we don't. No, this is a putting on and a leaving on. It's there. It is our wardrobe. It is what we wear. You know, we go somewhere as a family. One of the things, you know, we say before we go out the door, no, you families do the same thing. Boys, get your shoes on. Let's go. Get your shoes on, and then that starts the process of finding both shoes and untying the knots because we didn't do that when we took our shoes off the last time, and that whole process happens. We finally get our shoes on. We're 30 minutes late to where we're trying to go, but that's okay. We get there. We come back home, and then what do we do? We take our shoes off, don't we? Well, we don't need those anymore right now. We're in the house. You're fine. That's not what the armor is. It's not like, well, I'm going out to battle. I put my armor on. I go out. I come back. I take it off. No, no, no. It stays on. This armor is not like that. We put it on and we leave it on. Why? Because we always need protection. We always need protection. See, you need the armor to face the enemy and you need the armor when you're alone in your own bedroom with your phone. You realize that? You need the armor. You never take it off. Putting on the armor, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24... It's, it's akin to putting on the new man. In 4.24, he said that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the, the nature, the new nature that we have, the nature of Christ. And he kind of uses, the, borrows the same language here when he says we are to put on the armor. I think there's a similarity here. I think when we are fully dressed in the armor of God, we look a lot like Christ, the new man. When we have the whole armor of God on, we look a whole lot like Christ. You say, now why does he say armor here? Why armor? Because <laughs> we're going into battle. Life is war. That's the truth. Life is war. See, we don't wear a swimsuit like we're on summer vacation. Nor do we wear pajamas like we are asleep. We're not at a playground, we're at a battleground. Therefore, he says, take up the armor. We wear armor because it is a fight. Take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 13. Great parallel passage here that I want you to see. Romans 13, verses 11 to 14. Romans 13, 11 to 14. Paul writes here, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You see that? He says, he says wake up. It's time to awake out of sleep. Verse 12, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us, similar wording, put on the armor of light. 
Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Watch verse 14. But put on what? The Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. See how he connects putting on the armor of light with putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? He says the night is gone. The day is here. You better not still be walking around in the darkness. Put on the armor of life, the armor of light. You know, I think there's too many believers wearing pajamas all day and not armor. Why? Because they aren't fighting. They're sleepwalking. And they haven't taken their pajamas off yet. Paul says, you better get your pajamas off and you better put on your armor because it's a fight. Life is a fight. Life is a war. Back in Ephesians 6, please notice as well, both places in verse 11 and 13, he says, take up the whole armor of God. The whole armor. The armor is not a store where you go to the fitting room and you try on everything and you keep what you like. No, no, no. You don't get to do that. You wear it all. You need it all. You need full body and heart and soul and mind protection. The Greek word for whole armor is panoplion here. It's the word we get panoply from, meaning the whole deal. Think of a panorama, right? The whole picture. He says, you got to have the whole thing. And notice here too, that it is the armor of what? God, not yours. It's not you. And this is very similar to be strong in the Lord. He says, you better have the armor of God. We do not use our own armor. We don't use our own cunning. We don't use our own ability to fend off the the forces of evil. No, it is the armor of God. And the armor of God is one of the gifts of God's grace to us. We don't deserve one lick of it. We don't deserve one piece of it. But God in his mercy and grace not only saves us, but he gives us this armor to protect us to keep us from the wiles of the devil. In the coming weeks, in in these verses 14 through 18 and 20, we'll we'll do a deep dive into this suit of armor. We we look at the pieces and the importance of each one. For instance, the belt of truth and the, the breastplate of righteousness and what that looks like and what that means and what those things are. But it's a gift of God's grace. It's something we must have. Why? Because he tells us you need to stand courageously. In verse 11 and verse 13, we are told you better stand. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We trust in the Lord's strength, verse 10. We put on the armor of God. Why? To stand courageously. Remember chapter 5? It was a lot of walk. Walk in love. Walk in the spirit. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. Well, now he kind of changes that a little bit. In chapter 6, what do we see? Stand. 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 And this is important. We are told to stand strong. We're told to put on the armor and stand strong. You realize what we're not told? We're not told to win. He says stand. He doesn't say go win the battle. Why? Aren't we Christians? Aren't we supposed to win? Don't we fight to win? Don't we play to win? Yes. But he doesn't tell us to win here. He doesn't tell us to fight to win. Why? We don't have to win. The battle's already been won. 
The battle's already been won. Christ has already won the battle through his death, through his burial, his resurrection. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He has defeated hell. He has defeated Satan. Christ is the victor. There is victory in Jesus. We have the victory. See, Satan is a defeated foe. He's defeated. He's already lost. However, that does not mean he's harmless. It does not mean he is harmless. If you think back through history, when you see uh, uh, military history especially, whenever there is an army that knows they are beaten and they have nothing to lose, they fight like madmen, don't they? Whether it's the, the Japanese on the Pacific Islands in World War II or maybe the Texans in the Alamo, when an army knows they are beaten, they fight like madmen, they have nothing to lose. And that's exactly what Satan is doing. Satan is an angry, defeated foe. And he's trying to wreck as much havoc as he can on his way out. He knows he's on his way out and he's trying to ruin you and ruin everything about you on his way out. That's why we're told we don't have to fight to win. We fight to stand, to stand firm against the attacks of the devil. Warren Wiersbe says, as believers, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. We already have the victory in Christ. I'm fighting a battle. He's already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. Don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. See, Christ has won. Stand strong. Christ is one. You are on the winning side. Stand strong. In 1863, at probably the most important battle of the Civil War, the Battle of Gettysburg, Colonel Chamberlain and a regiment of, of Maine forces from the, from the state of Maine were put out on the far flank of the Union Army. And Colonel Chamberlain was told, you don't give up that line for anything. In no, under no circumstances do you retreat. If you retreat, the rebels will come up around the side and they will outflank us. He said, you hold that line and you do not give in. It was called the Battle of Little Round Top. And they weren't well supplied. There weren't a whole lot of them. But they held the line. They held the line and then they held it again. And then they held it again and they did not give in. The same command is true for us today. You put on the armor of God and you hold the line. Don't let him get you. He says, stand firm against what? First, verse 11, the wiles of the devil. You better hold the line against the insidious attacks of the devil. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Satan is called a roaring lion who wants to devour you. Hold the line. In Revelation 12, he is referred to as a dragon who swallows up his foes. Hold the line. In John 10, Jesus refers to him as the one who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Hold the line. You say, but not all attacks of the devil are bold frontal attacks, are they? Or he's coming with all his forces right up front and just trying to plow you over. No, you're right. Some are very subtle. Maybe the most dangerous ones are the very subtle ones. Satan is not only a lion and a dragon, he's also called a deceiver a schemer. He's a trickster who sneaks in the back door unnoticed, causes damage before you even know it's there. 
Here in Ephesians 6.11, he tells us we are to hold the line against the wiles of the devil. The Greek word for devil is diabolos. The devil is diabolical. The wiles of the devil, the wiles is the Greek word methodeus. His methods are deceitful. They are cunning. He is crafty. Ephesians 4.14 told us that we must be aware of the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says that the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. And you go back and read Genesis 3 and that's exactly what happened. He cast doubt on God's word. He caused Eve to, to, to doubt God's word, to get away from God's word. And he tricked her into giving up what was eternal to enjoy what was temporary. By wearing the armor of God, you must stand against these wiles of the devil. You must stand against his evil schemes. See, the armor protects us both from the frontal attack and from the deceptive attack. It's almost like the physical and mental aspect of protection is in mind here. You better not take the devil for granted. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Take heed, take heed, lest you fall. The devil has power, he has cunning that we cannot underestimate. We must stand firm. Stand firm against the wiles of the devil. He tells us also in verse 13, you better stand firm in the evil day. You better stand firm in the evil day. When is the evil day? Today. Oh, and it was yesterday. Oh, and tomorrow as well. It'll also be tomorrow. In fact, it's been every day. Ever since the inauguration of sin, every day has been an evil day. Ephesians 5.16 told us that the days are evil. He says you better be prepared for that. Don't go waltzing into a day and think, huh, this won't be an evil day. No, they're an evil day. Every day is an evil day. The word withstand here, he says you better withstand in the evil day. It means to resist. Is that ever more important for a believer? That as the world falls into all sorts of wickedness, whether it's our gender identity or, or abortion or, or a sexual revolution or who knows what, something new every day it seems, he says, you better withstand, you better resist that. You better oppose that. When the world, the flesh, and the devil come at you, resist it. You better stand, you better hold the line. Notice here too at the end of verse 13, standing strong against Satan in the, end, in the evil day is not just one day. Oh, I did good. Yeah, I did that yesterday. No, 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 it's not just one day, it's all days. Longevity is implied here because he says, having done all, having done all of that, to stand. What's he saying there? After all those attacks and all those battles, who's still standing? The one who has the armor of God on. The one whose strength is in the Lord. After all that has happened, the dust settles, you're still standing. You're still up. Because you have the armor of God and you're fighting in the strength of the Lord. Jumping, jumping to verse uh, 12, his last instruction for us, you need to know who your enemy is. Now we just talked about the devil being our enemy, he's a lion, he's deceitful, he's all those things. But there's more than just him too in mind here. More than just him. Verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Let's talk about that for a second. Because he's clear here, there is a group that is not our enemy, though we treat them as our enemy oftentimes. All right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Certainly not the flesh and blood that is on your side. Believers are on the same side. You realize that? 
The, the gospel preaching church down the, down the road and across town, they're on the same side. We're in this together. You know, as different as we may be in certain things, we have Christ in common and therefore we're on the same side. We have to remember that. Jesus said in Luke 9, 50, if they, not, or if they are not against us, they are for us. If they are not against us, they are for us. On June 16, 1858, at the Illinois State Republican Convention, Abraham Lincoln stood in front of those people and he said these stirring words. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Where did he get that idea? Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Words that are still true today. We need to stop fighting the wrong people and fighting the wrong battles. See, he doesn't tell us here, put on your armor to fight a brother. Ah, that's not it. You don't put on your armor to fight a brother. We don't even wrestle against flesh and blood that does oppose us. Say, what do you mean? We don't even wrestle against flesh and blood that opposes us because we know through scripture that the battle is actually spiritual, not physical. So we realize that though, though, uh, though flesh and blood may be opposing us, our real enemies are behind those enemies. Does that make sense? Our real enemy is not that person standing there but the forces of evil that are controlling that person. See, the social ills of our world are because of spiritual illness. The battle is spiritual, it's not social. The battle we have to fight is spiritual, it is not social. John MacArthur says, our greatest enemy is not the world we see, but the world we cannot see. One of Satan's most effective strategies and therefore one of a believer's greatest dangers is the delusion that no seriously threatening conflict between good and evil is really raging in the invisible and supernatural realm. Satan would like us to say, out of sight, out of mind. Well, that's not real. Can't see it. Here Paul tells us a little bit about our foe. Now, he doesn't tell us exhaustively, but he tells us enough to know they are dangerous. In verse 12, Paul gives us some advanced scouting. Right? Every army does that. You want to know who your opponent is. You want to know who's out there in front of you. And so Paul gives us some advanced scouting here. The devil is obviously the leader of this evil empire. And then he says there are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's in some way the devil's organization of evil. And those different things that he mentions there, it may be a hierarchy uh, uh, in that evil. It might be some sort of hierarchy in the devil's system, though we don't have to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out who all those are and what they're doing. What you need to know is this. They are numerous, and they are powerful, and they are evil. They are numerous, they are powerful, and they are evil. Because Satan and his demons do have limited power over many aspects of this world. Satan is called in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age. Ephesians 2, 2 called him the prince of the power of the air. See, we need to know who our enemy is so that we don't fight the wrong enemy or so that we don't underestimate our enemy. Because though the powers of darkness are defeated, they are not yet harmless. Know that Christ has defeated these enemies, yet we do not yet experience the full, the full blessing of that victory. We will one day. Praise God, we will one day. One day Christ will return and he will vanquish all of his foes once and for all. They will all be gone. One day the defeated foes will also be harmless because they will meet the doom that is coming to them. Be sure of that. God has promised that. 
And what God promises, he delivers. See, we have victory in Jesus today, and one day we will have complete and final victory in Jesus. Until that day, Paul says what? Hold the line. Stand courageously. Trust in the strength of the Lord. Hold the line, folks. Hold the line. Finally, in 2 Chronicles 20, the nation of Judah under King Jehoshaphat faced a a terrible enemy. Moab and Ammon and and several others had gathered against Judah. And you look at 2 Chronicles 20 and you think, how how is Jehoshaphat going to respond? How are the people of Judah going to respond when they're facing this battle? You know what they did? They did the right thing. In a time when a lot of people were doing the wrong thing, Jehoshaphat led his people to do the right thing. It says there in 2 Chronicles 20 that he sought the Lord and he gathered together Judah to seek the Lord together. They knew they had to meet this enemy. They knew they had to go out to the battlefield, but they were going to meet the enemy with the strength of the Lord on their side. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse six, Jehoshaphat says this, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? What a statement. What a statement of reliance on God's strength. He's saying, because these things are true, we trust in you. In verse 12, Jehoshaphat says, we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And so they're praying out to God, seeking direction, trusting in him because of his power. And the Lord responds to their prayers through Jehaziel. And Jehaziel says, on behalf of the Lord, he says, thus says the Lord to you, listen to this, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So you know what Jehoshaphat did? What any good military king would do? He put together a choir of people, sent them out in front of the army, And they began to sing praise to the Lord. Probably not the the, the manliest strategy that a king has ever come up with. But they said, we're going to give praise to the Lord because it's his battle, not ours. And it says, as they began to sing, the Lord actually ambushed their enemies and their enemies defeated each other. They start fighting against each other. Why? The battle was not Jehoshaphat's. The battle was not Judah's. The battle was the Lord's. Therefore, they were strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Folks, we're not much that different than Jehoshaphat. We fight a wicked foe, but we never do it alone because the God that went with Judah is the God that goes with us. He goes with us into battle. Therefore, as God said to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the truth. Let's pray.